The polls have only been open for a few hours. We have been getting reports of issues at some polling precincts across the region. Huh. Who could have predicted it? From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California on KFOI in Red Bluff and Redding, KKRN in Round Mountain, and AM 1480 KGOE in Eureka. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF, amongst others. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet and the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Even on Election Day, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, uh, as I've got a mountain of stuff I'm going to try to get to. Wish me luck. Good luck. Thank you. The mood was upbeat at Penfield Town Hall one week ago Saturday morning in upstate New York near Rochester, the very first ever day of early voting in New York State, which has added the option for the first time after years of terribly restrictive voting laws in the Empire State. A group of three dozen high-spirited Democrats gathered to commemorate the historic day, reports the Democrat and Chronicle in Rochester, New York. They uh, gathered to commemorate the historic day at the beginning of the state's off-year 2019 elections. As they entered the Penfield Town Hall, the line started to form, and a poll worker announced to the group, We've got a little bit of a glitch. This is new. It's new for all of us, the worker told the eager voters, according to the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle. The large paper books of voters' names and addresses were nowhere to be found at the early polling sites. Instead, the site now uses electronic tablets. A poll worker asks for the three letters of your first and last name. The worker finds you in the system. You sign on to the tablet, which prints a receipt. Next, you hand that receipt to a worker at the printer for the ballots, where they print out a ballot for you. Once the machine prints your ballot, the process is the same as it used to be. You fill out the ovals on the ballot by hand, then insert it into a machine that scans it and reads the ballot. However, at Penfield Town Hall, 
Pietra Santa Croce, uh, uh, Croce, I'm sorry if I'm screwing up that name, of uh, Parenton said that it took roughly 40 minutes for her to vote on the very first day of early voting for an off-year election, so turnout was not huge, because the workers had trouble getting a receipt out of the iPad so that she could be signed in to vote so that she could print out a ballot from the next printer so that it could be then counted by an optical scan system. Forty minutes it took her. Peggy Ansaldi said the process took her about 30 minutes because there was an error in printing her ballot. It seems like they could use more technicians, she said. While there were plenty of poll workers there, there were few who could fix them. To be fair, it was a new system though one that relied on a lot of electronics that could go wrong, and in many cases they did, as much of it did go wrong that day. Democrat and Chronicle staff members uh, who actually tried to vote themselves on Saturday found similar uh, what they call technical glitches. I call them failures. Uh, they found those failures in four different locations as they were trying to vote. This is uh, staff members from the newspaper. It was a long wait for Len Lacara, content strategy analyst at the Democrat and Chronicle. Lacara tweeted from the uh, former Fala's store in Ridge Culver Plaza, quote, finally have a ballot 55 minutes after I arrived. At 10.30 a.m., reporter Mary Chow found a long line at the Marketplace Mall in Henrietta. She tweeted, quote, just announced there are issues. Could take half hour or more leaving, she added. Roughly two hours later, Aaron Collins, the sales analytics manager at the paper, went to the same polling location of the three family members who were voting. Two of them had errors printing the ballot. Reporter Steve Orr voted on Empire State College on Westfield Road in Brighton. He was in and out about 10 minutes, but said that only one of two tablets were working and only one printer for the ballots was working at all. He said the saving grace is that there were not many people there to vote. There were way more poll workers than there were voters. Remember, this was early voting, the first day. Low turnout election. A low turnout mid-year election. I'm sure they'll have all those problems solved by the time they get to the massively high expected turnout for the 2020 election. How is this all going to work out? If, if you had large turnout in, uh, you know, in, in, for a presidential election, which is now just one year away... How would that go? It took reporter Tracy Schumacher 12 minutes to vote at Penfield Town Hall. She had no technical issues. That's good. But one man said he had been waiting roughly 40 minutes for his ballot to print. But OK, it's the first time out. It's a practice run of sorts here in this uh, in this county in New York. It sure, should who, all be smoothed out by next year, right? Who doesn't beta test on a live election? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? The computers in use, uh, an iPad, for crying out loud, are among the newest and best technology out there, right? Way better than, you know, uh, a paper poll book where they have to look up your name and then you sign it. Where's the receipt in that, I guess? Obviously, adding more steps that require electronics to work surely makes things better, right? 
Uh, voters around the country were voting on Tuesday. We will have noteworthy results and undoubtedly more problem reports on our next broadcast. We'll even have some more for you today in a moment as voters head to the polls for state and local elections in Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Kansas, Massachusetts, Maine, Minnesota, Missouri, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Utah, and Washington. Well, that's just about every. Everybody, well, not everybody, Virginia is electing its state legislators on Tuesday, all of them. Republicans currently hold just a two-vote advantage in the Virginia House of Delegates and a three-seat advantage in the state Senate. Both chambers are believed likely to flip to Democratic control in Tuesday's elections for the first time in years now that new ungerrymandered maps are being used there. The result could be a Democratic trifecta state where Democrats control the governor's mansion, as they already do, and both houses in the state assembly. Maybe. If so, that would be a momentous change in the Commonwealth on health care and on guns and much more. But in Chesterfield, Virginia, on Tuesday, voters reported problems when polls opened in the morning, according to ABC's 8 News in Richmond. They report there was no electronic poll book to check voters in at the Shenandoah Community Center on Tuesday morning. 8 News was able to discover that the polling center had received incorrect electronic thumb drives needed to check in voters into the electronic poll books they now use there. So guess what? Nobody could vote for nearly an hour. First thing in the morning during Election Day during rush hour, the morning rush hour. The issue was uh, reported when the precinct opened, uh, and uh, that had people waiting up to 45 minutes on Election Day on a Tuesday. Hopefully they didn't have to get to work. The problem was ultimately resolved, and uh, ABC 8 uh, notes that voters should note that in these cases they can request to file a provisional ballot and not wait for whatever was the problem uh, with the electronic poll books that morning. Hopefully it's an isolated incident. We usually find out more about these problems uh, in the days following Election Day. Of course, if they had used paper poll books, instead of relying on computers at that precinct, voters would have been able to go in and out and vote right away. So, you know, we may be on, uh, I'm not sure, we might be on the air in Chesterfield, Virginia on WRWK, The Work FM 93.9. I don't know if we are or not, uh, but if we are, if you're hearing me out there in Chesterfield and if you had any problems voting on Tuesday in Virginia, let me know. If so, I'd love to hear from you. I'm at Bradcast at bradblog.com. Also, Texas has 10 constitutional amendments on the ballot on Tuesday. Mississippi is electing its governor, attorney general, and state legislators. Kentucky is electing its governor and secretary of state, as we discussed in some detail on our previous broadcast with the unpopular Republican governor Matt Bevin said to be neck and neck, according to pre-election polls. With his challenger, Andy Bashir, hoping uh, to prevent his re-election, that after Donald Trump flew in on Monday night to try and save the very Trumpy Bevin in the very Trumpy state of Kentucky. Donald Trump did not go to Virginia, which is right next door to where he lives up there in Washington, D.C., didn't even try. But he did have to go down to Kentucky for some reason. 
Bevan, however, may not need saving, as I noted despite the fact uh, yesterday, despite the fact that he's neck and neck in the pre-election polls. Back in 2015, Bevan was down anywhere from three to five points in the various pre-election polls. Somehow he ended up winning by almost nine points that year. In a contest where down-ticket races received more votes in some cases than the governor's race, according to the computer-reported results in Kentucky that year. Meanwhile, in St. Joseph County, Indiana, on Tuesday, voting issues were reported there as well, in addition to some confusion around Michiana. Voters reported that voting machines were not working at several locations. This is in Indiana. An inspector at one of the elementary school voting locations said that they had technical issues between 7 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Again, rush hour for morning voters. Another voter reported that voting machines were not working at the uh, Mishawaka High School. An election official at the high school said that they had called in maintenance staff to fix the problem, but it was unknown when it would be completely resolved as of this afternoon. People waiting to vote at this location were reportedly told that they could wait for the issue to be resolved. Well, that's thoughtful. Uh, (laughs) Had they had paper ballots for everyone there instead of touchscreens, then they'd been able to vote by hand on paper in no time at all. Officials at Fire Station 5 in South Bend, oh, hello, Pete Buttigieg, said that they had people leave while they were experiencing issues, but a few did come back and vote later on. They were happy after the second time, not so happy after the first time, said Ada Douglas Plummer, an election official at Fire Station 5. They were experiencing technical issues around 6 a.m., which lasted more than an hour, according to officials. Again, on an off-year election, St. Joseph County Clerk Rita Glenn said Tuesday that polling locations were having issues with both new equipment and new inspectors, but added that poll workers have been told never to turn voters away. Again, that's very thoughtful of them. Glenn said that anyone in line during voting hours will be allowed to vote. Just a matter of how many hours you're able to wait online, I guess. But here's the number that jumped out at me from this report, about 30%. Of the 93 precincts in St. Joseph County were impacted by issues with the touch screens used at polling locations, according to Glenn. 30 percent. 30 percent of the precincts had problems on Election Day in an off-year election in Indiana. So it certainly does not bode well for 2020. You think? Anyway, uh, that's just some of the problems. Uh, I'm sure, uh, as noted, we will have uh, noteworthy results on our next broadcast and hopefully no more problem reports at all as we are now less than one year away from next year's presidential election. Also coming up a bit later today on the program, Desi Doyen with our latest Green News report as Donald Donald Trump officially began... Uh, The year-long process on Monday of pulling the U.S. out of the landmark, if woefully insufficient, Paris Climate Agreement. Both true. uh, That will uh, become official the day after the 2020 presidential election, adding a few, uh, few more stakes to that election, as if they weren't already high enough, it seems to me. 
But speaking of high stakes and landmark international treaties that Trump has pulled us out of for no good reason, other than the deals were struck by a previous administration, Iran said on Monday, according to the New York Times, that it had started using a new set of advanced centrifuges, bringing the country a step closer to be able to being able to produce enough nuclear material for a bomb. It is the latest move made by Iran to exceed the limitations of the nuclear agreement that it signed in 2015. And it was done in retaliation for President Donald Trump breaking that agreement by withdrawing from the deal and imposing new economic sanctions. The Iranian government reiterated that it was prepared to reverse its current buildup if the European powers that signed the agreement found a way to ease the impact of the American sanctions. If European commitments, quote, are fully impl- uh, implemented, we will come close to what we had in the nuclear deal as well, said the government spokesman at a news conference in Tehran. He said, our final goal is full implementation of the nuclear deal. He added that Iran's moves are aimed at bringing, bringing the other side back to compliance. The 2015 nuclear deal... limited Iran for 10 years to using about 5,000 older centrifuges at its main nuclear development facility. But in April, it announced plans to use newer, more efficient centrifuges that had not been allowed under the agreement because Donald Trump broke the agreement. So they felt like, sure, no problem. We'll use the newer ones. In the summer, they began to install them and activate them on Monday The chief of the Atomic Energy Organization of Iran told state news media that 30 of the more advanced centrifuges had now been put into use, bringing the total of those to 60. He said that Iran was also making plans to install more advanced centrifuges in the future. Under the nuclear deal, Iran gave up the majority of its enriched uranium stockpile. But all of those bets are off now as well. Its supplies are still far short of the level of enrichment that would be needed to make a nuclear bomb. However, uh, Iran insists it has no intention of building such a weapon, but Israeli, uh, American, and Saudi officials have long disputed that claim. And uh, I dispute it as well. I have no fear of Iran and what they might do if they uh, were allowed to uh, make enough uh, fissile material to create a bomb. But Donald Trump and the Republicans and the Israelis all act, and I guess the Saudis all act as if they are very, very concerned about it. Well, breaking the deal that kept them from doing exactly that seems to have been an extraordinarily foolish uh, move by this president, but of course it's just one uh, one more embarrassment, I guess, for Donald Trump, or at least it should be, if he had the capacity to be embarrassed by his own ridiculous and endless failures. And to underscore, Iran was complying with the Iran nuclear deal. The U.S. certified that it was doing so. Yep. The U.S. is the one that's out of compliance. Yep. Trump is the one who is violating the deal. Yep. And of course, uh, here's another uh, ridiculous uh, and embarrassing failure for this president. Uh, That one that I've been trying to get to since late last week. Uh, Every day in northeastern Syria, 
Waves of American troops are pulling out under President Trump's order last month that paved the way for a Turkish offensive that included assaults on the Pentagon's allies. That would be the Syrian Kurds and the release of hundreds of ISIS prisoners in the bargain. And yet, at the same time, as those troops are leaving, a separate wave of American troops from the opposite direction is pouring back in as Trump decided that he wanted to protect the oil fields that the Kurdish troops had been protecting, at least until Trump allowed them to be overrun last month by the Turks and the Russians. In fact, once the comings and goings of U.S. troops are done, the total number of U.S. forces in Syria is expected to be about 900. Now, uh, Desi, do you remember what the total number of troops in Syria was before Donald Trump announced that he was pulling them all out? No, I do not. One thousand. <laughs> so he had one thousand troops on the ground when he ordered the sudden withdrawal of American forces from the country on a Sunday night after a phone call with the Turkish president and without consulting the Pentagon or his own advisors. This was just a few weeks ago. And now when all is said and done, we'll have... 900 troops still on the ground. This is damage control, said Alexander Beck, a fellow at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for uh, Scholars who oversaw Syrian issues at the National Security Council during the Obama administration. Bick said, but the damage is already done in terms of partners' alarm at the capriciousness of U.S. policymaking, a strategic resh reshuffle along the Turkish border, and the overwhelming sense that the United States is on its way out. In the three weeks of political and military turmoil that upended the administration's Syria policy, the U.S. has deserted its pivotal Kurdish ally. It has ceded territory that the Kurds had controlled, ceded that uh, territory to Syria, Turkey, and Russia, and has opened the door for a possible Islamic State resurgence, despite the death of its leader uh, al-Baghdadi in an American commando raid a week ago Saturday. The U.S. is on its way out. Let that sit with you for a moment. Back home, of course, things are going uh, much, much better for this president, who finds himself in the middle of impeachment proceedings, after his attempt to extort the nation of Ukraine for a uh, phony investigation into his political rivals to help his 2020 election chances in exchange for $391 million of military assistance that had been appropriated for Ukraine by Congress. But, uh, yeah, things are uh, getting more and more embarrassing for this president. As the Washington Post reported over the weekend, you may have heard, but I just I have to underscore this smuggling gangs in Mexico have reportedly sawed through new sections of President Trump's border wall in recent months by using commercially available power tools, opening gaps that are large enough for people and drug loads to pass through. That according to U.S. agents and officials with knowledge of the damage to the fence, to the wall, to the barrier, whatever it's called, the breaches have been made using a popular cordless household tool known as a reciprocating saw. You may have one in your own garage. Uh, retailers sell them uh, for uh, as little as $100. 
When fitted with specialized blades, the saw can slice right through one of the barrier's steel and concrete bollards in minutes, according to the agents who spoke on condition of anonymity. After cutting through the base of one single bollard, smugglers can just push the steel out of the way, create an adult-sized gap for people to walk right through. Because the bollards are so tall and are attached only to the top panel, their length, because they're so tall, makes them really simple to sort of push aside once they've been cut and they're sort of left dangling, according to engineers who were consulted by The Washington Post. These uh, taxpayer-funded barriers uh, have come uh, so far with a $10 billion price tag. They were a central theme to Trump's 2016 campaign, of course, and he has made the project a physical symbol of his presidency, touting its construction pro progress, usually falsely, in speeches and ads and tweets. He has increasingly boasted in recent days about the superlative properties of the barrier, calling it, quote, virtually impenetrable, <laughs> unquote. I guess the word virtually is doing a lot of work there. <laughs> he likens it, the structure, to a, quote, Rolls Royce that border crossers cannot get over, under, or through. However, the smuggling crews have been able to do exactly that. They've also been using other techniques like building makeshift ladders to scale the wall, especially in the popular smuggling areas in San Diego. What? They have ladder technology? Ladder technology. That, according to nearly a dozen U.S. agents and current and former administration officials who spoke to the paper, Mexican criminal organizations which generate billions of dollars in smuggling profits, they have enormous incentive to adapt their operations at the border to new obstacles and enforcement methods, according to the officials. If damage is detected by the, uh, by the officials, welding crews are promptly sent in to make fixes, so no worries. That said, the smugglers have returned to the very same bollards and cut through the welds, according to agents, because the metal is now softer and the concrete at the core of the bollard already has been compromised. San Diego uh, broadcaster KPBS, which reported on the prototype tests back in 2018, remember that? Uh, when he had all of those different walls to choose from, well, they uh, KPBS obtained heavily redacted copies of the test results through Freedom of Information Act re uh, requests. And the report showed that all of the designs that the Trump administration evaluated back in 2017 were actually found to be vulnerable to breaching methods. NBC News subsequently published images of steel bollards that were cut during the prototype tests and showed the photographs to the president. Trump's response, quote, that's a wall designed by previous administrations. Oh, dear. That's fake news T to him. That's what it was. And it was his own his own wall. TPM Christine, TPM's Christina Cabrera put the embarrassment in perspective. She cited presidential candidate Donald Trump on October 3 of 2015 saying, quote, we're going to build a wall and it's going to be impenetrable. It will be a real wall. That, as Trump was asked about the Saturday Washington Post report that smugglers are easily defeating his trademark impenetrable real wall, to which Trump replied amid the usual helicopter noise. I haven't heard that. We have a very powerful wall, but it's 
But no matter how powerful, uh, you can cut through anything, in all fairness. But we have a lot of people watching. You know, cutting, cutting is one thing, but it's easily fixed. One of the reasons we did it the way we did it, it's very easily fixed. You put the chunk back in. But we have a very powerful wall, but you can cut through any wall, as you know. So A powerful wall. So, yeah, I don't know if you could hear that. But first he said, I, I love how he said, uh, I, 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 I hadn't heard that. Of course he has heard that. Uh, and is, he hadn't heard it, but then he knew exactly what they were talking about, that, oh, you can just put the chunk back in if it's cut, nothing to worry about. It's a very, very powerful wall. His uh, casual response comes after uh, he has used that wall at uh, as a rallying cry repeatedly on the campaign trail. He shut down the government for 35 days to pressure Congress into funding it. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Just this past, what, January? He uh, stole at least $8 billion from military funds to pay for it when Congress refused to give in to him. I should note here uh, that the Trump campaign, uh, well, that he campaigned on a promise to make Mexico pay for that wall. But it has all come from uh, taxpayer money, not from Mexico. Most of it's stolen from the Defense Department. But, hey, he's keeping us safe. Also from those dastardly Iranians who may now be able to build a nuclear bomb, thanks to him since he tore up the anti-nuclear agreement. Oh, and also from ISIS. He's keeping us safe from them, despite allowing them to escape hundreds of them in Syria. But other than that, totally safe. Of course, I uh, I could go on and on and on with Trump's embarrassment and failures, both foreign and domestic. You may have heard that he canceled Native American Heritage Month yesterday. Did you hear about that? Des? I did not. Uh, yes, he. Uh, that was what was uh, the rumors on the internet. Turns out it was fake news. Oh, good. Mm, but not really. Oh, uh, sorry. So uh, reports were circulating uh, on Twitter and elsewhere that Trump had canceled Native American Heritage Month and replaced it with a new designation, National American History and Founders Month, instead. However, those reports were mostly wrong. Here's what happened. Uh, On Thursday, Trump continued the tradition started by President George H.W. Bush back in 1990 and declared the month of November to be National Native American Heritage Month. On that same day, however, the president issued a second and brand new proclamation declaring November also, awkwardly enough, to be National American History and Founders Month as well. To continue to advance liberty and prosperity, we must ensure the next generation of leaders is steeped in the proud history of our country. That proclamation declared it might not be uh, quite as proud of a history, I'm afraid, if we actually paid attention to why we need a National Native American Heritage Month in the first place these days. But reading the proclamation for National American History and Founders Month, According to Rolling Stone's Tessa Stewart, it's uh, hard to tell who it is actually for. It mentions the Declaration of Independence and the Revolutionary War. It also mentions the U.S. efforts to liberate Europe from Nazi control during World War II. Wait, what? (laughs) World War II? It also discusses the success of placing the first ever man on the moon 50 years ago as part of National American History and Founders Month. 
if it weren't for a passing reference to the victories of the civil rights movement, Stewart reports, it would be easy to argue that uh, with the National American History and Founders Month, Trump was trying to deliver for the plurality of his voters, 37 percent of them, according to a poll last year, who believe that there ought to be a, quote, white history month. Just a coincidence that this is declared on the same month as Native American Heritage Month, of course. And given the fact that President Trump has slashed funding for Native services since taking office, has approved the Dakota Access and Keystone Oil Pipelines over tribal objections, we'll have some news on that in our GNR a little bit later as well, and it's not good news. And uh, Trump has made light of Native American uh, of the Native American massacre at Wounded Knee. Well, it's not hard to imagine that the double proclamation was meant to purposely undermine Native Americans. You think? Uh, yeah, and and remember, he also cut the boundaries of Bears Ears National Monument, which uh, the Native oh, American tribes had fought for decades for. Nonetheless, uh, Rolling Stone notes that the providence of National American History and Founders Month is actually a lot more swampy than just that. According to a website created to promote the cause, National American History and Founders Month is the passion project of Dr. Jennifer Burkhart London, who is just happens to be the wife to the major Republican donor, Jack London. According to campaign finance records in 2016, London, who's the exec chairman of the Arlington, Virginia-based defense contractor named CACI International, uh, London gave more than 100000 to the Trump Victory Fund, more than 33000 to the RNC, tens of thousands of dollars to Republican parties in various states, and the maximum donation to Donald J. Trump for president. London appears poised to replicate those donations in 2019 as well. So, hey, why not give, him, uh, give his uh, very lovely wife the month? That she wants give enough money to the president of the United States and he will apparently declare an entire month for anything that you like. Everything is now for sale in this country. Everything must go. London has been rewarded for his efforts, by the way, in addition to that presidential proclamation, uh, National American Her uh, History and Founders Month has also been commemorated in a number of states, including Alabama, Arkansas and Oklahoma. Just a coincidence that those are also states with large Native American populations. Efforts are underway to pass it in more than 10 other states as well. Neither that uh, defense contractor nor the White House responded to requests for comment from Rolling Stone. Oh, I bet they didn't. Anyway, uh, grifters got a grift. I got one more story on uh, Donald Trump grifting, but I ain't got time for it. We'll try to pick it up a little bit later because I want to get to, you know, with all of these embarrassing failures, and these are just a few of them, as you know, one would think uh, that whoever wins the uh, Democratic nomination in 2020 ought to be a shoe in I mean, how hard could it be to beat this guy? Well, think again. Be afraid. Be very afraid. I will explain why right after this. You're listening to the world-famous Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey. 
Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Apparently so, if you cut them just in the right place. It's easy. Yep. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of confusing and frankly not helpful at all information coming out right now in major publications to mark the fact that we are now exactly one year away from the 2020 presidential election. So take this, for example, from the Washington Post today. They write one year out from the 2020 election, President Trump trails some potential Democratic rivals in head to head matchups with his national support level currently fixed at about 40 percent, according to a Washington Post ABC News poll. Former Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Bernie Sanders and Senator Elizabeth Warren run strongest against the president nationally, with Biden leading by 17 points nationally, Warren by 15 points, Sanders by 14 points in head-to-head matchups nationally next year, according to the survey. Also, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Senator Kamala Harris The other two Democrats that uh, were tested against Trump in this poll, they also lead the president among registered voters, with Buttigieg up over Trump by 11 points and Harris ahead by nine points over Donald Trump. Huge numbers. The national results represent a shift away from Trump since the summer when only Biden had a clear advantage over the incumbent, they write, with Republicans and Democrats mostly locked in on their voting intentions already, meaning voters locked in on their voting intentions. The biggest difference between the results from July and those in the new poll is that independents have moved in the direction of the Democratic candidates. Well, that's good. They add one wild card is any possible impact that the impeachment proceedings might have on public attitudes. The current poll was completed just before the House voted along party lines to formalize that inquiry. It reflects national findings, however, and only of registered voters, not likely voters. And it does not include, for example, those who have yet to register. 
Now, that could include new young voters who tend to lean Democratic, but it could also mean Trump supporters who, as reportedly happened in 2016, sort of came out of the woodwork, voters who had never voted before in their lives, older voters who came out of the woodwork to vote for the very first time for Donald Trump. You're going to hear a lot of these national poll results between now and next November And while it's uh, tempting to uh, hear them and go, oh, well, that sounds encouraging. Five of the leading Democrats are all wiping the floor with Donald Trump. These are national results. I would urge you to ignore all of them. Remember, Hillary Clinton, uh, she also had a lead in the national polls in 2016. And in fact, she won the national popular vote. The polls were not wrong. She won the national uh, popular vote by about the same amount that those polls had predicted. But we do not run national elections in this country. We run state-by-state electoral college elections for the presidency. And while these national polls are really neat, whether they're of likely voters or registered voters or anything else, They are wildly, potentially wildly misleading. And on that, the New York Times on Monday had a much darker poll result for Democrats. If you set the national stuff aside and you look at just the battleground states that actually gave the election to Donald Trump in 2016, the story, at least according to the New York Times, is very different. Nate Cohn writes that despite low national approval ratings and the specter of impeachment, President Trump remains highly competitive in the battleground states likeliest to decide his reelection. That, according to a new set of surveys from The New York Times, Upshot and Siena College. Across the six closest states that went Republican in 2016, Donald Trump trails Joe Biden by an average of two points among registered voters, but that is still within the margin of error. Trump leads Elizabeth Warren by two points among registered voters, also the same uh, mar- within the same margin of error. It's also the same margin as his win over Hillary Clinton in those uh, states three years ago. The polls showed that Bernie Sanders was deadlocked with the president among registered voters, but trailing among likely voters. But basically, all three of them, Biden, Warren and Sanders, are pretty much neck and neck within the margin of errors in these battleground states that determine the election in 2016 and may do so again in 2020. The results suggest that uh, Elizabeth Warren, who has emerged as a frontrunner for the Democratic nomination, might face a number of obstacles in her pursuit of the presidency. The paper cites uh, concerns among Democrats about her ideology and about her gender, <laughs> including the idea of whether she's likable enough mm. and that this could hobble her candidacy among this crucial sliver of the electorate that the New York Times poll is looking at here. Not only does she underperform her rivals, but the poll also suggests that the race could be close enough for that difference to be decisive next year. So, okay, a couple of things about this poll, Uh, about all of the polls, really, that you're hearing right now. The election year, the election is a year away. 
And there are a lot of missing variables in all of these polls, including uh, whatever effect impeachment will have, which absolutely nobody knows. Nobody knows how that is going to redound uh, to, to the benefit of the president, against the president, I would guess against him, bigly, but nobody knows. And, of course, nobody knows who will actually be uh, likely voters by November 3 of next year, much less registered voters, since new voters uh, will become registered voters. And, by the way, currently registered voters in too many cases may be purged from the rolls before next November. And we don't even have a candidate yet on the Democratic side much less uh, potential third-party candidates who could get into the race and blow everything up even further. So where some Bernie supporters, for example, may now say that they would not support Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden or vice versa, that will all change bigly over the next year. Once, you know, Democrats actually know who it is they'll be nominating. Moreover, uh, there are some critics of this Times poll over the past day who, who feel that uh, they may have weighted the results too much towards white, non-college, educated voters in these battlegrounds, the only group that still seems to support Donald Trump, that in order to make up for under-including those voters in the New York Times 2016 polling. So all of that may be true, but my takeaway uh, from this is that anybody who thinks Democrats are going to win in a landslide next year, uh, you know, are crazy that, you know, if this was a level playing field in a sane world, yes, Democrats almost certainly would win in a landline in a landslide. I'm sorry. Uh, but those folks who think that are simply not paying attention. We do not live on a level playing field, nor do we live in a sane world right now, unfortunately. Anybody who thinks that Donald Trump cannot possibly win re-election, given all of his madness and his criminality and his unfitness for office, anybody who thinks that is simply not, uh, is just playing with fire at this point. Also, anybody who hears a poll like this and thinks, oh, it's outrageous because somehow this is going to demoralize voters. It's going to demoralize Democrats. Don't tell them about this. Well, I've never bought that. I think it makes folks work even harder for their candidate when they feel they may possibly lose. And guess what, Democrats? You may possibly lose next year to Donald Trump. Also, Anybody who does not understand the fragility of our electoral system and how easy it is to game and how easily how easily it fails. If just in case you missed the first segment of this program, go back and give that a listen. But anybody who doesn't understand that, well, must not listen to the Bradcast or, or read Bradblog.com. So I just wanted to cite this poll today. By way of reminding you, one year out from the most critical presidential election of our lifetimes and perhaps in the history of this nation, now is a really fantastic moment to begin thinking about what you can do to help. Not help any particular candidate necessarily. Uh, I'm not talking about campaign donations, but actually help. Actually help get voters to vote by helping them to register or making sure that they have the type of IDs that they will need to vote in whatever jurisdiction they happen to be in next year, 
or advising them on the best way to vote, which, by the way, is on a hand-marked paper ballot, even if that means voting by absentee, which is not preferred. But in some places, it may be the only option uh, to to vote on a hand-marked paper ballot is to do so with a vote-by-mail ballot. But if you do so, please try to bring that in and deliver it in person on Election Day to your precinct where you live, if you're allowed to do so, and help others know that they should do the same. Now is a great time to start thinking about this and about how you can help. Uh, You know, for example, I talk politics all the time with my barber quite a bit when I go in to get a haircut. She's an Iranian immigrant. Uh, She's now a U.S. citizen. Her family is uh, still living in Iran. I've told her uh, about how important it is to register to vote and to uh, then actually vote and then to actually vote on a hand-marked paper ballot, even though uh, L.A. County, where we live, will be forcing us to vote at the polls next year on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking devices, which produce a piece of paper that can never actually be verified after an election as reflecting the intent of any voter. Therefore, vote on a paper ballot that you have marked by hand, a hand marked paper ballot. So she and I have talked about this. And now every time I go in, she tells me, oh, yes, whenever any any clients that come in, she tells them, she asks them, are you registered to vote? That's awesome. Do you know you have to vote? on a hand-marked paper ballot next year. So, yes, it makes a difference when you talk to people about this. Sign up to be a poll worker. Or, yes, knock on the doors with your favorite local campaign. There are a lot of things that need to be done to save this country. Now is a good time to think about what you are going to do because every single one of us needs to be all in for 2020. If you are not afraid of what could happen, you are not paying attention. Be afraid. Be very afraid and then take action to do something about it. All hands on deck. Do not be lulled into complacency. Given the obvious and complete and total failures, endless failures and embarrassments of this presidency, I warned similarly in 2016. Few believed me at the time. I hope people believe me this time. Now is the time to plan, find a group to work with, get involved. Our friend Cenk Uger of the uh, Young Turks tweeted uh, yesterday, I think. He said, uh, Trump is down 17 points in Georgia since taking office. He's down 21 in North Carolina, 22 points in Iowa. He's a paper tiger. He's the most overrated politician in our lifetimes. Democrats are too traumatized by 2016. They should treat him as the incredibly unpopular politician he is. I'm not sure what poll that uh, Cenk was uh, pointing to there. Uh, And yes, uh, maybe Democrats certainly are traumatized from 2016, but maybe they should stay that way if it means that they will take this one seriously. Yes, be very afraid, but take action. And don't listen to the national polls. They mean nothing. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. (laughs) 
The Bratcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Well, always scaring us into taking action uh, is uh, Desi Doyen, of course, with our Green News Report. Yes, and I just wanted to say real quick, now is the best time to become a vote Sherpa. Help somebody near you who doesn't really know how the system works, like, say, new college students. This is all new to them. Vote Sherpa? Yeah, vote Sherpa. I just made that that up. Coined that phrase? Yes. Pretty good. Well done. We'll see if you do as well on our latest Green News Report. I withdrew the United States from the terrible one-sided Paris Climate Accord was a total disaster for our country. Nope, the U.S. is still in the Paris Climate Agreement, for now. Work has finally gotten underway to clean up this massive oil spill just north of Edinburgh. Yep, another significant oil spill on the Keystone Pipeline, plus... It is the year 2019. Why is the world still ignoring the science and those most affected by this crisis? Swedish teen climate activist Greta Thunberg takes her climate action message to Los Angeles. All of those messages and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Why are the people in power still pretending that everything is fine? Because it is, Greta. For them, those folks are doing just great. This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, who could have predicted it? But once again, thousands and thousands of gallons of oil spilled from the Keystone Pipeline. (laughs) Yes, in fact, everyone predicted it. Cleanup operations are underway after the Keystone Pipeline spilled again late last week. This is the original Keystone Pipeline, not the controversial extension called the Keystone XL, which is still delayed in court. The new spill on the original Keystone dumped 400,000 gallons of sticky tar sands crude oil, smothering an acre of wetlands in northeastern North Dakota. Now, this is the same company which owns the what would be the Keystone XL pipeline that they tell us is the most advanced pipeline ever. It would never spill. Yeah, and if you believe that, I'll just let you know that it's the second significant spill on the original pipeline in just the last two years. In climate news, at an oil industry conference in Pittsburgh a few weeks ago, President Trump told his usual lies about the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement and falsely touted that he had withdrawn from it. Nope, the U.S. is still in the Paris Agreement, even now. What the Trump administration did do was announce on Monday that it filed the paperwork to begin the process of formally withdrawing the U.S. from the Paris Accord, the landmark global agreement to reduce greenhouse gas emissions that caused dangerous man-made 
climate change. The process won't be completed until November 4th, 2020. That's the day after the 2020 presidential election. As if the 2020 presidential election wasn't already critical enough. If Trump loses, a new president could simply rejoin the agreement. Until then, the Trump administration will retain its seat at the U.N. climate talks this year and continue its attempts to monkey wrench the global rulemaking negotiations. If there are global climate talks this year, wasn't that supposed to be held in Chile and weren't those recently canceled? Chile bowed out of hosting this year's climate summit because of protests and civil unrest sparked by deepening economic inequality. But Madrid, Spain will now host the summit. Oh, there you go. How's Greta Thunberg going to get there if she's got to go all the way back across the ocean? That is an excellent question. Thank you. We'll get to her in a minute, but the U.S. is the only country on the planet to withdraw from the Paris Accord. However, as Trump is pulling the U.S. back from world leadership, China is stepping in. Reuters reports that the presidents of China and France this week will sign a new trade agreement that includes a paragraph on the, quote, irreversibility of the Paris Climate Agreement. Meanwhile, while firefighters in California are making headway controlling an outbreak of wildfires, President Trump still hasn't mentioned the first responders, but he did find time to criticize California Governor Gavin Newsom about his wildfire response. Trump insisted on Twitter that Newsom must, quote, clean the forest. (laughs) Trump also threatened to cut off federal disaster relief funding to the state. Finally, Swedish teen climate activist Greta Thunberg traveled to Los Angeles to join the youth climate strike on Friday. Los Angeles Unified School District students were excused from classes if they attended the rally in downtown L.A., where Thunberg and other youth climate leaders called on the crowd to get active politically and demand politicians act on climate change. There is a tomorrow. It is the tomorrow where we young people will live. And we need to fight for that tomorrow and we need to protect it as if our lives depended on it, because it does. Thunberg also appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show, where she had this to say when Ellen asked her if she'd consider meeting with President Trump. Uh, I don't understand why I would do that. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I don't I don't see what I could tell him that he hasn't already heard. Yeah. And I just... I just think it would be a waste of time, really. Yes, of course it would. He has access to the world's greatest climate scientists. He hasn't met with them, or at least if he has, he has completely ignored them. So why would he listen to Greta Thunberg? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. And our thanks in advance to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us celebrate Green News Report's upcoming 1,000th episode. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Yep. Uh, tomorrow, I think there's uh, the Weather Channel is doing a special climate. Yes, town the hall. Weather Channel on Thursday night is doing 2020: The Race to Save the Planet, in which they interview six of the top Democratic presidential candidates and three of the top Republican presidential candidates, not including Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. I figured as much. All right. Well, we'll have uh, reports on that if they say anything worthwhile. No doubt on our next Green News report. Thanks to. Desi Doyen, our producer, and Vote Sherpa. And also to 
all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. And that is it. Until we meet again, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.